0: W-M-Q-A.
1: Hello and welcome to W M Q A, the podcast where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Laswitz.
2: And this week's guests are the co-creators of the new Ahoy comic series, Justice Warriors, Matt Boers and Ben Clarkson. Welcome, gentlemen.
0: Hey, thanks for having us.
1: Good to be here. <laughs> so uh, we often start by asking our guests, uh, what are some of the first comics that each of you remembers reading? Um, ben, why don't you go first?
3: Uh, I remember getting, when I was like 10 years old, a Spider-Man Clone Wars issue mm. that was completely incomprehensible because I had no idea how comics worked. I just bought a comic at the local candy store. I mean,
1: the people and... writing Spider-Man at that time didn't know how <laughs> comics worked. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, it, I I had no idea. And uh, I lived out in the bush in Canada, so I didn't really get regular comics. It's just what would come in at Whenever it wasn't like a comic book store or anything, so it really wasn't that regular. I was really a um, uh, Far Side head. I mm-hmm. had every single Far Side collection. I even bought like the sub collections. So they would release like the yearly anthology, and then every three years they'd release a collection. I would buy the yearly anthologies because there was like one or two cartoons in the collections that wouldn't be in those. Because mm-hmm. I needed to have all of them. I was a it's nut for the Far Side.
1: Now how many other t-shirts did you have?
3: I didn't have any t-shirts because uh I I really lived in the bush. Like it was hard to get consumer objects. When I when I moved to like the larger urban population center of Canada, it was um
0: you started wearing shirts.
3: I started wearing <laughs> shirts.
1: The bug yeah, I had to, to be horrible. able to go into stores.
3: <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. There was like honestly there was one store in my town. Uh, it was real bad. It was a three-hour drive to the nearest mall. Uh, it was pretty impoverished for consumer goods. Mm-hmm. Um, but after that, I was just a, a classic consumer whore buying and consuming my identity.
0: As for me, um, I started reading a lot of comics when I was young. My my dad got me into Mad Magazine. That was the first thing that I re- that I remember. Um, Getting and then I got into my own stuff, uh, mainly X Men and uh, Image Comics. So I was, you know, big into Image Comics when they launched. Uh, Mm -hmm. I started reading a fun fact about me is that I started reading Spawn when it came out, you know, when I was, Uh I think, nine, and uh, I've stuck with it to this day. So I've read uh,
1: three, yeah, 300 and you know, 15 issues or whatever they're on now. I forget. Now, Spawn had recently expanded into a whole, like, line of books. So are you getting, like, gunslingers?
0: I'm getting them all. Catch you them know, all, like, chain cover. What do they Pokemon? say? for a penny and for a pound. I mean,
1: Todd got me, you know,
0: 30-some years on this book, and then he's going to launch four more. I, I got to get them at this point, you know? I'm a sucker.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think anyone listening to this podcast or podcasting on this podcast has any idea what that feels like
1: <laughs> <laughs> not 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 so much with spawn but with you know batman or or, or right, right. X-Men, but yeah you know it's it's same drug different label <laughs> but uh anyway yeah so uh y'all are here to talk about uh, justice warriors your series from ahoy comics uh colored by felipe sobrero uh Issue number one is in stores now. Issue number two is due out July 13th. As of this recording, as always, uh, things are subject to change. But anyway, uh, I'm going to go ahead and read the solicit text for the listeners in my best gravelly trailer voice. Outside the walls of prosperous Bubble City, two tense cops patrol the uninhabited zone, a vast slum where most of the population lives, many of them mutants. After his partner is killed by a self-driving bus, traumatized veteran swamp cop, Teach naive rookie shit that the UZ can only be policed by breaking every rule. So when you were a job. Thank you.
3: You got a Uh, job as a narrator
1: when it goes to animation. Good to know uh when you were were, were pitching the series to ahoy or or in talks with them had you looked at their other books and said this political satire is too subtle like you you took one look at mark russell and said who's this coward yeah
0: yeah i think mark russell's work was uh you know a key to like be you know saying that ahoy could uh publish this mm-hmm. we, we sent it everywhere though you know we sent it to image and a couple of places were into it but ahoy felt like the best outlet
1: um you know and 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 kind of let, let's get into that a little bit uh you know what is the origin of of, of justice warriors you know before ahoy and, and and before it even landed at a publisher uh it's ben. something
3: yeah it's something i had been working on for like 10 years it started as a novel that i was writing in coffee shops and then it sort of Mutated. I would just always have this idea of this thing and it would pick up characters. Swamp Cop was really early. Mm -hmm. And then it took a long time to get shit. And then it took a long time for it to become bubble city. Like it's actually embarrassing how long it took me to rename bubble city to bubble city. Like I remember it very clearly this moment. I was like lying in bed, reading Wikipedia and uh, I was like oh it should be a it's a dome it should be a bubble and I would like laugh hysterically in <laughs> in the middle like 2 a.m just like ha, ha 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 I got it now uh yeah so it's something I've been piecing together forever and I had imagined it as uh, um, as a tv show but I like I come from the bush uh, I have no idea how to make a TV show, I have no idea who to contact, who would make a TV show, what would this be? And so I've just sort of been on this journey of figuring out like, okay, how do I tell people about this idea? Who do I tell people to tell about this idea? Where do I go with this? How can this like be alive and be a real thing in the world rather than just a bunch of doodles of a crazy person? And through that process, uh, Matt had been doing his post-apocalyptic Trump cartoons Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh yeah, of course, Matt Boar is one of the best political cartoonists of our day. He should partner with me, uh, a nobody and produce this as a TV show uh, or now a comic. And Matt uh, humbly agreed to retire from political cartooning and become my <laughs> business partner.
0: Yeah, I've been uh, you know, looking to get into sort of I don't know what you call them. This is a, this isn't quite mainstream comics, but you know, floppy comics, direct market comics, uh, for a long time. And I realized I had to, something had to give in my life because I'm running the publication, the nib I was doing my own political cartoons. I have two kids during a pandemic. It was, it was getting kind of nuts. And I was really at the end of feeling like I could say anything more with my political cartooning or just being sort of creatively, uh, had run it into the ground. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so Ben came around at the, at the right time. And, um, you know, I just immediately loved all of of the ideas and, you know, uh, we have similar politics and similar influences and, uh, you know, we just hit it off and here we are.
1: Now coming from, from, you know, animation and, and political cartooning respectively, what are, what were one or two of the you know bigger challenges and kind of refocusing those energies into a a monthly comic book well i don't
0: know about what ben would say but i um i didn't i don't really know that i I had a lot of challenges necessarily Mm -hmm. just because i've been reading and thinking about comics for so long it felt good to finally cut loose and actually tell a story be able to Write jokes that weren't just, you know, straight punchline of a of an editorial cartoon. I mean, I was doing some narrative stuff, but it was mm-hmm. within usually four or six panels. You don't have a lot of space, so I mean, I just love love it as a as a as a way to kind of spread out. I mean, there's there's constraints within the you know the monthly comic book format, um, but constraints are good and they help you you know form tell the story in that in you know twenty two page increments. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, it's it's an interesting format. I was thinking about it the other day about how I couldn't have done it. I definitely could have done it as a comic in any way, shape, or form by myself, because I was just thinking about how much insight Matt brings to the actual form, like the the where to, where to put a cliffhanger, where to put uh, scene changes. These things aren't necessarily one-to-one transferable from TV writing. Uh, I can do TV writing, but it's it's very it's very different to write it. And then from the position of drawing it, it's there are different challenges because I try to keep the level of detail in the books quite high. It's it's pretty crunch drawing it nonstop. Although animation is pretty crunchy too. It's uh, <laughs> drawing a lot of pictures is
1: hard. <laughs> and you know you're you're both credited as as you know co-writers co create you know what what is sort of the division of labor when it comes to uh the story aspect of things between you
0: it starts with us talking about ideas you know we we have a lot of them and we try and try to figure out how to how to fit them all in a story so <laughs> um it, a lot of meetings talking riffing on stuff um we usually come up with an outline of what we want to all the beats we want to hit in the story from you know plot points to different scenes that we know we want. Um, I'll do a first pass of the script, Ben will punch it up, or we'll um, he'll say, like, this isn't working, and we'll you know have a new scene. Uh, or he'll say, oh, I want to do something crazy with this page, and like, uh, you know, I need to draw a big mutant getting their head blown off, or whatever. <laughs> uh, so everybody can be satisfied. Uh, and yeah, is this it's just a lot of back and forth. I mean, we uh we turn in like the first drafts that we turn into the editor Tom are like really Mm -hmm. polished. You know, we've, we've gone over them like five times by that point. So yeah, that's the process for, for scripting at least.
3: Yeah. It's, it's hard to remember because it's been such a long time since we started writing it, but a a lot of it is just really came from like uh, internet video meetings where we're just throwing ideas and like slowly I would pull out the things that I didn't know could be in it. Like the self-driving bus is a idea from like two or like Roger's getting killed. The partner getting killed is an idea from like two, three, four years ago. I think at one point of a condemned building collapsed on him in one script I was writing. Um, But taking all these ideas that had sort of been set up from like the multiple pitches that I had written over the decade and giving them to Matt. And then we sort of sort them together as a, as a puzzle and make uh, a story that hit points of things that we think are both funny and profoundly troublesome uh, relating to our society and relating to where things are going. Like, it's really wild that um, there's a bunch of things in the book that we wrote a year ago that are literally happening now that this summer will happen and like if you look at i'm uh, one thing about the book is uh that's always been really important to me is that economics actually is one of the driving forces of all of the action in the book Uh it's uh like the prime mover it's not the heroes it's not the villains economics and economic forces are driving the book and if you look at the economics of what's going to happen this summer, basically
1: everything in the book is going to happen. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, I, I imagine, you know, you've done quite a few interviews and, and getting hit with the uh, with the baby formula question <laughs> uh, a couple times, but just seeing the book come out, a book you've been working for again, you know, three, four years working with each other for like two years or so. And then the book hits and holy shit, there's a baby formula shortage. <laughs> Like that's, that, that's, that's gotta be nuts.
0: <laughs> yeah. We definitely didn't plan it. I don't know how we would have, but um, yeah. I, I, you know, I guess it comes from, I guess, like Ben was saying, you know, we're both into the the politics of it and the structure of society. And there's going to be a shortage of something, I guess, from a publicity standpoint, maybe we lucked out with the baby formula thing, but I mean, it's, it was going to be, especially during the, the last two years of COVID and supply chain crunches, you know, like that's, in the consciousness now of, of stuff mm-hmm. that can happen. So I don't know if you've read issue two, but um, Not it, yet, won't, no. yeah, it w- won't spoil a lot to say that, um, you know, the stuff that happens in the first issue, sort of, there's like a boom bust cycle in Bubble City and it creates, you know, new crime and different kind of mutations of societal hysteria and economic crazes and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So in the second issue, there's something that, there's a, there's a, an economic crash or a uh, commodities bubble, essentially very akin to um, crypto. You know, crypto's crashing right now, and also yep. uh, the housing market is starting to. And um, you, you know, this stuff is 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 in it, it's in the comic.
1: I, I have to imagine, you know, for 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 readers who are seeing this stuff happen and then seeing what's happening in the outside world. There's, you know, there are people who are thinking that this book is made on sort of like a, um, like how, how people used to talk about South park being made, which just sort of very quickly strung together so it can stay topical. And then you've got to be, you know, you've got to be like, oh, no, we've been talking about this for like two years. We just, you know, really yeah. attuned to how fucked the economy is
0: <laughs> to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's not, um, when I was doing uh, these Nib animations a couple of years ago, um, mm-hmm. they were, we were on this crazy production cycle where we would write one week, storyboard, animate the third week where, you know, voice recording was in there somewhere. And then like the, the fourth week was, you know, wrapping it all up. And then it would be out like 30 days later. And there's a sweet spot you can hit, especially during the Trump years. You know, it was constant craziness and, and <clears throat> news stories every day. And there's this sweet spot that we could hit um, where it seemed extremely topical. You know, we were just like, what's going to be topical in a month? In Justice Warriors, I don't feel like we're really doing that at all. I mean, there's no, we're not trying to be hyper topical other than Mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, police, economics, violence, uh, social media, all these like broader topics that we are tackling are just sort of perennially um, in the mix.
3: Yeah, I, I think my approach to humor has always been to try to make it as evergreen as possible, as abstract as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife was asking me about, because we live in Quebec, but they speak French in Quebec. None of my wife's friends can read the comic because they don't speak English. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was asking me like, how would translation of it go? Uh, and there's not really that many specific references through the book, like it's pretty evergreen. It's, uh, it's pretty universal, the jokes. It's about the structures we engage with and just like the buffoonery mm-hmm. of, of the people in charge of these structures and in charge of these forces. Like that's one thing that we really talked about is how, like how do we depict a cop show or a cop story that engages <laughs> with social forces rather than individual moral principles. Because I watched a lot of cop shows uh, in preparation for Justice Warriors. I watched so much of that show SWAT uh, just to get the idea of like, how do you, how, do, how are they writing this? Like, what's the structure of this? And it's almost always um, the good cops overcome, like this sounds dumb to say, the good cops overcome the bad criminals. Like the cops are good. They're, they have good moral virtues and their moral virtues overcome things. Uh, and there's this idea overall in our society that moral virtue is constituent and important to the maintenance of the system that we live in, but uh, that, that's that's crazy. Like, that's not how anything works. It, it's all corrupt all the way down. Everyone's uh, a nepotistic, narcissistic uh self-interested self-interest is what reproduces the system so we wanted to create a world where everyone was self-interested and uh that's where you can get this almost predictive power of what's gonna happen in two years if you just have the worst possible take or the worst possible model of how people behave and then project outwards
1: Now, Ben, you've you've created, as, as you've mentioned, you know, a very detailed world full of you know, billboards, sight gags, uh, colorful mutants, urban decay, uh, not to mention two of artists' favorite things to draw, crowds and vehicles. Uh, how much lead time are you giving yourself to draw all this? So, for example, like, you know, we've got issue one, issue two is coming out in, in a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, where where are you in sort of drawing all of this? Uh, we're really ahead because it it's it is very detailed. Like you haven't
3: seen anything until you've seen it, issue three. Issue three is completely insane. It's I, I think it's going to blow people's socks off with uh, what's going on in it because it's we call it internally the riot issue. Mm. So it's there's uh, a riot. Uh, it's a riot. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> it's
1: yeah. A riot. Well, uh, you
0: know, I think uh, by the end of. Justice Warriors Issue One. I think it's pretty clear that this is a book that's going to have riots in it. Sure, multiple. You know, the there's one that's starting at the at the end of the first issue, but we'll be here for issue three.
3: Yeah, it's. A, I think it's a class three riot yeah. in, the, in issue three. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Uh, I think our schedule is six weeks per comic, um, but I'm honestly I'm putting in like sixty hours a week yeah. for the past year how long have I been drawing this book it's it don't think quite a year
0: but it's been a yeah I mean we we started it without a publication date just until we had a few issues in the can sure um you know by the end of the by the end of it we might come up I don't know we're doing pretty good though
1: we're we're certainly not
0: I don't think we're gonna miss any deadlines but I'm actually the I think I'm the problem because I my kids end up getting keep getting sick and I keep getting sick so I'm like doing the lettering at the, you know, staying up late on the dead, on deadline so that I'm not the one who throws the book off.
2: How, how many of those details and those character designs are things that you, you know, script out in advance? And, you know, I mean, obviously characters like Swamp Comp and shit, you have designs for, but there's so much detail and so many different crazy mutant designs and things. How much of it is scripted out to begin with? And how much of it, as you're drawing, it's like, Okay, well we need a few more here so let's make a lizard guy let's make a
3: bird thing let's
2: yeah that's
0: definitely ben
3: yeah it's it's almost all the latter uh because the script will say like a crowd forms and then it's like okay so i need uh i i literally look at my uh my toddler son's high chair and i'm like that's a guy i draw his high chair uh what else is a thing a a door uh, I draw a door. I just like just try to barf out, and then next panel, entirely new crowds. just i don't want to repeat myself ever just to keep myself sharp and then Matt and I started falling in love with some of these characters uh so like there's a guy we talk about uh in the book internally, two buys, and two buys ends up in a doodle in issue two yeah he's a doodle in the background of issue two. And then he moves to the forefront until he gets like, actually a pretty central part of uh, issue four. Um, And then by the end, by issue five, I have to check character reference because we're reusing some of these guys over and over and over again. And so I'll come up with just like this regurgitation of hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of characters and then we start reusing the best ones. Uh, something early that Matt said to me was like, this should be like The Simpsons. It should be, we should have like a cast of characters and we should return to these characters and use them over and over and over again. So this yeah. is a very early like ideation period. Before yeah, we like settle you, on.
0: Yeah, you that. know, the main characters were established uh, when we started, but a lot of the, you know, the side characters aren't. So for instance, the, uh, the crab guy who owns the record store Um, he's an issue too, Mm um, you know, as we wrap up with going on the record store, but then, you know, he's not a major character. He doesn't really appear again, but in my mind, it's like, well, in volume two, uh, he'll have another role as a, maybe the record store owner, or maybe he owns a different shop and every volume he owns a different shop in the, uh, um, so stuff like that, you know, there's these little characters that I think are going to appear again.
2: He's like the cabbage guy in Avatar. He's just just constantly destroying his his enterprise. I like it.
0: Yeah, well, like the Simpsons, you know, everyone has their mm-hmm. uh, has their little roles, and you know, there's a. Well, once we give someone a name, you know, it's it's hard not to keep using them. So, like, uh, actually, there's a cop named who's not shown, but is referred to uh, Bernalti in the first issue. The chief says um, dealing with the Bernalti investigation or whatever she says. Mm-hmm. And then in issue three, in this riot issue, we realized that we needed a uh, a bad cop, like badder than normal, because everyone <laughs> in, the, in the city is uh, you know irredeemably corrupt, but worse than than Swamp and shit. Uh, and so I wrote that it uh, uh, it was going to just you know use this Bernalti thing because it was it was an investigation about like a bad shooting or something. So I was like, okay, well Bernalti is already uh, mentioned as. Uh, you know, being a cop that's under investigation for a shooting and we turned him into a blobfish. So he looks really disgusting. And uh, well, I won't spoil what happens to our good friend Donalti. <laughs> but you I've checked issue three.
1: Oh man, right at a blobfish. Plenty to look forward to as yeah. we move ahead. Um, mentioned issue two, you know, one interview that I read in prepping mentioned specifically at one point. Uh, where a whole chunk of issue two ended up being scrapped to kind of reroute the story. Uh, You know, in in terms of talking about collaboration and stuff, I was kind of curious how that conversation, you know, without giving away story points, but how that conversation went.
3: I'm not as familiar with the monthly format of comics as Matt is. Mm -hmm. And Matt had a vision to, um, for how the structure of each issue would go. And I was a little scared that we were jumping from one idea, from one economic bubble to the other, too quickly. And so I came to him and I said to him, "Let's tear the funniest and smartest part of this book out and make it dumb." And I almost convinced him. I was very (laughs) close. Uh,
0: Ben's Ben's being funny, but it, yeah, you know, we when we started, it is like each issue sort of we ratchet things up i mean it mm-hmm. and it kind of gets crazy with where we head with this thing by the end but uh the first half at least is designed by these boom and bust things and so there's like kind of a new craze to explain mm-hmm. um new crime that happens while all while you have this plot that's building there's there's actually like a a villain uh, a gang that that kind of rises out of this uh chaos that becomes the antagonist of the series but they they aren't really kind of fully introduced until issue three and then we kind of switch to to that uh that conflict i guess but um yeah i'm not i'm not sure it would spoil anything just to, to say that it uh well maybe it would i'm just i don't know how how much yeah it's people i was are, trying to
3: dance around the details of it because i don't know if
0: people aren't going to go by issue two if we tell them what it is but the, uh, the economy collapses, there's, um, by the end of issue one, there's uh, this app that has been designed basically as a sort of uh, stimulus to the us, uh, while also doubling as a way to uh, sell an almost infinite amount of records, mm-hmm. um, that the economy collapses. And then there's a speculative market uh, based around bread which is, you know, sort of uh, part crypto and part like tulip mania. Mm. And, um, you know, it's like, don't eat your bread. It's like, it's actually, it's going to be way more like worth a lot more money tomorrow. And that kind of ratchets up into, you know, uh, as as comical and as crazy as we can, we can make it before we get into another thing in issue three.
3: Yeah. And I almost convinced Matt to cut that whole thing. And at the end of the day, he said to me, it's zany. And I realized, <laughs> oh, yes, this thing is zany. It's a lot zanier than I, I have to. It, it, was a, it was a process of realizing. Uh, I said in some interviews, it's the process of finding out what the soul of Justice Warriors was. And that for me was like a real moment where I figured out like, oh, what we're making is. Uh, uh, silly and because something that was always really special for me about Justice Warriors is that it's a ridiculous premise, but I wanted to do it as seriously as I, I could. And it's always really important to me that try to make it into a Michael Bay movie into like a, a, a high action film uh, rather than sort of hand wave and say, this is all nonsense. Like I, I want to take it as seriously as possible. And so there is this back and forth between Matt very often, Uh, Matt Matt and I very often, of how serious is this? How zany should this be? How much action do we need? How many jokes? Um, In that process, that back and forth, that
0: seesaw has uh, worked pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. And the, uh, you know, I think of like what we're doing in the first few issues, especially of, of you know, introducing entire new concepts and piling all this stuff on, it is a lot. And um, it's a lot to keep up with, but I think that's like part of part of the world, it's, it's chaotic. The us in particular is this world filled with mutants and hysteria and crime. And it's like, it, it relays the mood of it very well to me for, to like have like these constant waves of new, uh, new problems
1: also i like the idea that sort of that that economic boom and bust and sort of the the fad scarcities and 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 you know bread and baby formula and the mayor's you know new album they're all they kind of as they lend as much to the episodic nature of the, uh, elements of the series as the criminals themselves or the i guess people who have been possessed by starchfish that have then been yeah. arrested for crimes
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, that's a crime too, you know, allowing your body to be used in a, by a starfish for the uh, to perpetuate a crime.
1: That's society's
2: job, not a starfish's. Yeah. Yeah. Has economics, since you talked about it before, has that been something that as, you know, working with political cartoons, that's something that you've all followed for a long time, or is it something that you had to do a much deeper dive into when setting up these boom-bust cycles? Because I was reading the, the rat man's pr- proposal, and I was like, this is terrifyingly plausible. I don't know economics too well, but this seems like something horrible people would do.
3: The Ratzinger's plan is literally federal policy. That's called quantitative easing. That is central to the federal reserves monetary policy.
0: Yeah, I think we wanted, (laughs) we wanted it to be, we wanted the economics of it to be real, real seeming, I guess, is maybe the term. Like, these are all based on yeah. real, real, it's a silly version. but yeah, it's a, it's a zany version. Um, you know, I did. So, I mean, Ben is uh, real into economics. I mean, I am too, but I'm not, I don't have a particular focus on it other than um, I care about it a lot. I think that it dictates, uh, you know, the structure of our world, but I mean, how this stuff works the mechanics of it. I, I did do a deep dive on it though. I got a couple books um, on it. I got the, the book, what is it by Robert McKay? The delusions of I don't remember the title, but it's one that deals with the Tulip Mania and uh, another book on boom and bust and a couple things on police. Um, so yeah, you know, like we w- we want this thing. It's it's crazy and there's uh, it's an ultra violent uh, satire with weird mutants and everything, but like we, we want it to you know actually make sense.
3: Yeah, I wanted it to work on a couple. Levels Like on one level, it's silly, it's zany, it's an episode of The Simpsons. Uh, But then on the other level, it's if you know monetary policy, it's a really funny joke Uh, that if you're, that they're using uh, the Prince's records as the Prince's new record release as T-bills. That's very funny. Uh, so I I wanted the joke to work on a a couple of a couple of levels and but that's also like to be honest that's in the Simpsons too there's one episode of the Simpsons where they're sitting at the at an outdoor opera and the orchestra plays like this little leet motif and Dr. Hubbard laughs and looks around and he's like I'm the only one that got that and, and that, for me, has been like a guiding principle for Justice Warriors, too, that on one level, it's stupid, like it's Homer Simpson. And then on the other level, it's a Dr. Hubbard joke. So there's that throughout the, the issue. And you're going to see in it what you are prepared to see. If you don't know a lot about the politics, it's just going to be a silly, zany romp. If you know a lot about economics and politics and history,
1: uh, it's also a zany romp but for you excellent um forgive me I'm, I'm blanking on this uh how many how many issues are you guys uh going with this six six okay
0: and hopefully more excellent hopefully uh,
1: never yeah, ending
0: yeah we <laughs> you know this is a uh we have a six issue mini series with a uh beginning and end to it you know mm-hmm. but the world of uh justice warriors continues indefinitely as long as we can make it we basically have ideas for, you know, volumes two, three, four, five, and six, I would say at this point, like we want to get into like a different aspect of the world for for each volume. Mm
1: -hmm. Excellent, Uh, you know, we've, we've brought up the Simpsons a few times, you know, you've likely seen a lot of people try to find comparison points for the book, like, oh, it's like Judge Dredd or Robocop or Axe Cop or whatever. Uh, You know, is there one of these you've seen that surprised you or in an interviewer, excuse me, or in an interview, one you've given that surprised the interviewer as like an influence point or comparison point?
3: I always say the wire and people are always surprised by the wire. Uh, But the wire has always been like a big influence on the development of Justice Warriors, because in the wire structurally, you have I'm a really I'm a big fan of like narrative structure. (laughs) Um, Structurally, you have City Hall, which never interacts with the police, and then you have the police, which very rarely actually deals with the internal gang politics. And you have these different worlds and systems that are spinning independent of one another, which feed back into one another. And that's something I wanted to have in Justice Warriors was there's the bubble, which has its own interests, and it's doing its own things, which creates conditions somewhere else, which creates a response by the police. And then there's also this idea of each series. This is for the future, but each series focusing on a different aspect of society, like the docks, the schools, uh, the streets, the journalism. Uh, We don't want to retread the same ground. We don't want to do the same story again. We have a completely different uh, word for the future issues that we hope to do. We have completely different stories for those that go into wild places and do completely different,
0: yeah, things and I, with
3: the material.
0: And I think a lot of the characters in it, you know, will sort of come in and out of the the, the foreground. Uh, you know, we don't actually focus on the bubble quite so much in this series. You know, mm-hmm. to be honest. Uh, most of it takes place in the us and is about the the cops policing the us, but there's, there's much more to be done in the bubble. And there's, there's a lot to be done. You can tell already just from one issue, how crazy the society is, right? Like we need to get into elections. What are sports like in this world? I mean, we have all sorts of ideas and, you know, characters like the Prince or even the crab guy, you know, they can come in and out as, and be, Major characters of an arc, uh, you know, if it pertains to their part of the world, and that's, so that's like what we intend with Justice Warriors, and that's what the the comparison to the Wire is. You know, it's not about obviously tonally, it's way different uh, because that's. I think Ben is the one who described it as the Wire crossed with with uh, itchy and scratchy.
2: <laughs> I like that. Uh, tangent question: Have either of you uh, seen We Own This City yet? the new HBO series from the creators of the wire. I haven't.
3: It's no, good. I've been too busy drawing. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I haven't either. I've been too busy podcasting, but somebody at work, like, Oh, you need, you like the wire. You need to see it. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Give me six hours of time and I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> do bad it.
0: with, I'm bad with keeping up on, on shows. Uh, there's, there's a lot of good ones, but I devote very little time to actually watching them.
1: My, it's too
3: um, many now. There's too many shows. I can't yeah. keep track of them. Uh, there's a like. I wanted to watch the Asimov Foundation one, but no, I lost track. Like What's I can maybe watch really... a movie. I can sit down for a movie. That's
1: about it. Yeah. No. I'm 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 bad with TV anymore. And also, I just lost my HBO Max hookup. So there go. Oh, <laughs> there goes the back half of season three of Barry for me. But uh, <laughs> um, so ahoy comics of course are, are famous for their back matter you know they've always got all kinds of short stories prose pieces recipes poetry that one time our friend chris wrote about the eyeball fairy but for uh justice warriors uh mm-hmm. y'all are providing that too so uh what is what's what's the goal with the back matter for for justice warriors
0: well i i do most of the back matter so i guess i'll uh, i'll speak to that um for one, I think there is going to be regular Ahoy back matter in it because for the first issue, mm. our, the, the story ran long. It's like a 24-page 24, 24 story and then two pages of back matter. So it's literally almost the entire, like, pamphlet, the comic book itself besides the inside covers. Uh, but I'll be doing two uh, pieces of back matter for each issue. One is sort of a, a, a pinup. Uh, in the first issue, it's a it's a mugshot of a... Uh, character who gets arrested in the beginning kind of gives you some stats. I think it's called bubble city crime files. The bubble city crime files will will return, but also I'm going to just be playing with that page and doing different stuff. One is going to be an autopsy report on a character who gets killed Mm -hmm. Um, stuff like that Uh, sort of like police file type stuff on something that happens in the issue. And then the other thing is a one page strip that sort of takes place in the world a little bit adjacent to, some of the plot points it just sort of fills out the world a little more Mm -hmm. um you know just i mean i think part of it is i am a cartoonist too and was really just sort of eager to uh do as much stuff uh on justice warriors as i can i'm doing variant covers for all the issues and the other thing is just there's so much to this world we really wanted to like build it out and like almost overwhelm people with with comics i mean i think that there's You know, we're asking people to fork over money for comic books uh, in a competitive market where they all want to get their whatever they're reading their Batman and spawn every month. And, you know, I want people to pick up Justice Warriors and like feel like they really got their money's worth and that we're really like building out this world.
1: Um, You're both living in 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 Canada uh, these days. Uh, well, I mean, Ben always, but, you know, mad in recent years. Uh, how does that you've mentioned this book is supposed to have more of a, a global feel, but I'm, I'm curious how that distance influences your your view of uh, the madness happening to yourself. <laughs>
3: uh, there's a there like there is a tradition in Canada of um, looking at the United States because you can't avoid it. uh, 90% of all of our media comes from the United States. So there Mm -hmm. is a bit of an idea of a a step removal of being able to observe and comment um, that I see. Because I just look at the screens and I'm like, that's crazy. That's insane. Because it doesn't directly affect me. And I'm like, why would they do it like they do it here? I know why now they don't do it that way. It's a very long, complicated explanation, but um, there, is, there is a sort of, there's an artificial, not artificial, I guess a pretty organic distance from what the majority of the news is, which has helped me sort of develop the perspective of justice warriors um, that comes from Canada. Because mm-hmm. uh, like originally the, the bubble city was literally the, the city of Winnipeg, but put on the moon because it, uh, the city of Winnipeg is so isolated that it seems like everything else is, everything is happening somewhere else. <laughs> that, uh, that was the, those were the very early foundations of the, the perspective of like, let's look at this world from a very, very long lens. Uh, so let's try to alienate the reader from all of these political aspects of their lives through zany cartoon language. And uh, I guess the isolation of being a Canadian helps with that. I don't know what your experience with that is, Matt.
0: Well, I was going to say, I, I like having that distance now. And it's, it's not just the physical distance, but, you know, having quit political cartooning sort of pulled myself away from having my head in the news constantly or being a online constantly um, which I used to be a lot in order to generate ideas and I still am a little bit but a lot less so and sort of having my brain in a fictional world that we're trying to build out that relates to our world but is not in any way sort of a one-to-one one-to-one thing and I guess that's just you know that's just my own thing from I I mentioned just being like real burned out by by politics and you know doing things that kind of don't um, don't have any shelf life because it's about something that happened this week and what Mitch McConnell said. And, you know, that stuff has value. I mean, I did it for 18 years, but I was just like really ready to move on from it.
1: Um, you know, g- uh, given that, you know, in how has. Now, now that you're not doing uh, regular political cartooning, you know, how. Different is your life now from a year ago in terms of, you know, like daily routine and stuff like that. Yeah. N-
0: not very different. Cause the thing is, is that you can be, uh, you know, considered a successful cartoonist or political cartoonist. But the fact is, is my main job is running the nib and my political cartoons were always, uh, sort of tacked on and done late at night. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have kids tight schedule and it was just, it, it, it there was no point in which, all my work just fit comfortably into like 95, you know, during the time we have childcare and stuff like that. So, I mean, my, my life is a little bit chaotic because Ben knows that uh, we're constantly getting sick and daycare shutdowns and Omicron waves and stuff have really disrupted our lives. But uh, my life is a, is a little less um, chaotic than it was with the political cartoons. I mean, I'm going back and forth between the nib and justice warrior stuff pretty much daily because uh, I'm always working on some aspect of justice warriors be it lettering writing a backup feature something like that so mm-hmm. I'll do I try to do like one one of those a week uh, I sort of have to because of the deadlines um, so yeah you know that's that's uh,
1: that's what my week's like uh, now are you also still involved in uh, tiny view comics yeah although I you know a little bit I um,
0: that's an app for uh, for like web-based comics and i help Mm -hmm. them out a little bit i brought in some creators to to that and i'm also helping them do a uh probably a kickstarter for a book that they have that's like a a bunch of science comics so um yeah but i don't do any of my own work there i sort of just like uh some combination of like bringing in creators and advising him on business and stuff like that
1: a consultancy nice Uh, so you started uh political cartooning during the George W. Bush years, which, you know, a fertile field to be sure, uh, you know, and, and obviously how things have changed is obvious to, you know, anyone who, and, and this is where I was going to say, reads a newspaper, but that's wishful thinking on my part. So let's say, you know, opens up their social media feed and gets blasted in the face with the full spectrum of human rage. Yeah. So I, I guess my question is, is, you know, how absurd are we as a species that we're being driven to nostalgia for a time that was also terrible?
0: Yeah, well, you know, I think everybody is sort of uh, really exhausted with, well, everything, but, you know, social media, yeah. um, that being, the, you know, you just said we open up social media. I mean, we don't, I don't think many people uh, read news anymore, including people who you would think follow it constantly and are constantly talking about it or outraged by it. Mm. I mean... You know it was like a joke a few years ago that people are only reading the headlines of stuff and they're not reading the article and i mean i don't even know if they're reading the headlines anymore um i'm sure some people are but <laughs> yeah social media uh you know it's it it seems like everybody has been uh affected by it uh but i have a particular thing with it because i was on it so much like for a lot of my career and mm-hmm. came to hate it a little what. and it plays a it plays a big role in justice warriors actually like in uh as as the issues go on like what happens on social media sort of dictates a lot of what happens in their in their world you know i mean you can see it already with the police chief who's obsessed with uh what's happening online and who's making fun of her but i mean it just go, it just goes and goes from there well I, what was the question i'm just what?
3: yeah i think i because you mentioned like <laughs> nostalgia for that moment, that George W. Bush moment, right? And the thing I find really crazy about that idea that was nostalgic for that moment is that the exact same people are in charge. If you look at the George W. Bush administration, those same people are now in the Biden administration uh, and they're all related to a, uh, a think tank called the Project for a New American Century. PNAC, as it's abbreviated in the crazy weirdo parts of the internet (laughs) have been like we weaseling their way through the different administrations. And uh, there's, I think you're very apt in identifying a nostalgia in that moment, because it is the same people, but bereft of ideas and bereft of the same position that they were, Uh, like America's in a worse position than it was during the George W. Bush times. So it is actually quite apt to be nostalgic for that same moment
0: i think i guess to answer your question more directly i think that there is a i don't know there's a nostalgia for not consuming news that the the, the way we do now you know everything feels a lot worse because you're you're opening your phone and just seeing constant uh constant bad things thrown at you and it has a an effect on your brain, but things are pretty bad. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> the climate crisis and uh, everything else, and I, and to what Ben was saying, I mean, I do think that America is in kind of a a decline. Like doesn't didn't have anywhere to go, but into decline, being like the the sole superpower for a while. But mm. um, you know, the last few years, the the inability to kind of meet the, the challenges of the pandemic, in my opinion. I mean, and and. You know, Biden came in office with a bunch of stuff that he um, came to advocate for that he didn't even run on for president. You know, like big progressive things, uh, stuff that they have up here. You, you know, universal daycare, uh, pre-K. Um, I mean, at one point they were going to put eight hundred billion dollars into into pre-K and daycare for people, student debt relief, all sorts of things that is like desperately needed. And they can't get any they can't get any of it done. And a lot of people don't even want to do it. And, you know, it's just a, it's a country that can't get anything done for a lot of, you know, structural reasons, including the Senate, but it just, I think there's a feeling, a pervasive feeling that things are only going to get worse. And I think that that's probably true.
1: Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Your, your, your cartoon, we should improve society somewhat took on a life of its own and that, you know, I've seen it, seen it passed around a bunch on Twitter, you know, long before I, I, I knew about, you know, who you were or, 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 the nib, et cetera. What, what is that like from your end? You know, the only other cartoon that I could think of with that same sort of like took on a life of its own weight to it is like uh this is fine dog.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, some days I think it's cool. Some days it's annoying. I don't, you know, it, from my perspective, it's like, I guess if it contributes to like name recognition, because it is kind of known as the Matt Boers cartoon, I think, even by people who don't know who I am or even follow my work, it's just kind of become like the This Is Fine dog is the, this is Fine dog. It's not called the Casey Green dog. But I think that my thing is kind of referred to as the Matt Boers cartoon a lot, which I guess is cool. I don't know. I don't, being internet famous or having a meme that is successful by meme standards, it, you know, it doesn't really. <laughs> The, uh creating material wealth for me or anything like that. Okay. Um, if it helps, uh, if it helps sell a comic book, if, you know, people see my name and recognize it or something, that's cool. Otherwise it's just, it just, is something that kind of becomes detached from you. And then it's, it's called a meme. Like just, it's not really a meme. It's a comic, it's a comic panel, but then it just, people use it all the time. And then we say, that's a meme now. I don't know. Um, but funny enough, the, You'll want to check out the riot issue because the the <laughs> character from that the well guy, yeah, is in Justice Warriors because uh, Justice Warriors it is a lot of things. You know, there's tongue people and uh, uh, whatever every every kind of species of mutant you can you can imagine. But there's also like tunes like um, like in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, there's uh-huh. like cartoons are like a are like a species or something. So that guy is in, is in the, is in the book.
1: It's excellent. Uh, I, I, on a tangent note, I actually just watched Who Framed Roger Rabbit with my kids, uh, this past weekend. And that end is still, uh, far freakier than most Disney stuff. Yeah. I yeah, need to, I need to rewatch that.
3: It's really good. The thing is it, to be the guy who knows about all this stuff, the, sure. the, scheme that the villain has was an actual literal conspiracy scheme that happened in LA, which was to destroy public transit and install a freeway system so that these oil conglomerates could sell gas at the roadside. And so even in Roger Rabbit, is like this little nugget of political truth that they're trying to like weasel into your brain.
0: Weasel. I like that. Yeah, uh,
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I'm very funny.
0: You meant to do that. Um, th- that's funny because you know I, um, I got on like a little nostalgia kick for like late '80s, early '90s movies, kind of a, as part of researching Justice Warriors. Also, just to think Netflix was feeding me them. Sure. But I was wa- watching a lot of crime movies. A lot of I don't even know what you call it. Like the movie Backdraft. Like I don't know what kind of movie that is, right? in a
1: firefighter bra- ganda drama. Or... You know, a, a <laughs> yeah, a drama. Movie. Rather...
0: But the like the the real reason behind a lot of the actions or like a villain's actions in all of these movies okay. is some sort of thing like Ben was talking about. Like in Backdraft, mm-hmm. it's like uh, if you remember it at all, there was um, somebody setting arsons using you know backdraft, type, setting it up so shit blows up when they open the door but it's a firefighter who's doing it because like some right-wing politician is doing budget cuts so he's like he- he trying to terrorize the city so that they they need to uh fund the fire department more <laughs> it's like that that sort of thing is underlying a lot of movies i've noticed even though they're not trying to be political at all i think just because that's that's part of america especially coming out of the 80s mm-hmm. right like under reaganomics you end up with movies like robocop which are um, you know, politically aware and are envisioning like uh, a world where corporations, like uh, corporations defund the police, not activists. <laughs> I think that that's a plot point in RoboCop, right? They're like messing with the pensions of the, uh,
3: no, the cops co- go on strike, don't they? Yeah.
0: Is then they something...
3: use the Strike as leverage to push their military hardware.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So Uh, you know, this is
3: is great. This is
0: the the backbone of a lot of uh, of a lot of movies, and uh, we're just we're just trying to uh, bring this stuff to the forefront.
3: Yeah, this is something that Matt and I have talked a lot about. Is like there, and this is Matt and this is part of our dynamic too. Is that there is uh, this sort of underworld of like true stories of all the actual corruption that takes place that most people are completely insulated from. And the only way that we usually, as a as a public, as a culture, engage with this like sludge of truth and evil is to fictionalize it. Like we'll pull up the backdraft right wing politician or Delta City in Robocop, mm-hmm. and we'll be like, okay, look at this. This is the pillar for our narrative, and at the bottom, we'll get like a good cop or a good firefighter to get yeah. rid of it. And the premise, part of the premise of Justice Warriors is. We don't get rid of it. It's just the slime is just there. It's Slime Mountain. Uh, and everything, you're just doing a, a survey of Slime Mountain. And something I like doing is trying to involve as much of the, the real world slime of what occurs in these stories. Because uh, I, I don't know how much people are aware of just how rotten things are. Uh, and I don't know if people want to know because I've listened to some and read some reviews where people automatically start even fictionalizing what's in Justice Warriors. I was listening to some very, very small podcast and they were talking about Justice Warriors and they, cha- they already were changing the story of what happened in the comic to make it more generic, to make it more, um, I guess, palatable for themselves and saying like, oh, this is just silly. This is just stupid. And it is silly. It is stupid. It's a funny cartoon. But that process of like fictionalization of the sludge of the world is something that's very interesting to me and a big part of uh, the ideation of the project.
1: If the opportunity presented itself for Justice Warriors to become uh, an animated project or or, some sort of or, uh, adaptation or, or however you want to, you know, phrase it is, do you think at some, at this point, that's something that you would pursue? Absolutely. 100%.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we, we want to, uh, we're going to try certainly as an animated show. I mean, it would work really well, you know, I mean, it was originally designed that way. Um, and then I think Ben's like, uh, Hail Mary idea of this being like a Michael Bay movie with where they're like CGI people, like Avatar or something. I mean, you know, it's uh, it'd probably be hard to get something like this, Justice Warriors, made on a big budget, but um, but certainly in animation, and you know, yeah, That's
3: yeah, I, I am scared that because it is so. Uh, I was describing it to one TV executive and she looked at me and she said, this is actually really subversive as though that was a bad thing about it. Uh, that's my, one of my one concerns about anyone putting behind, real money behind it Any uh, one day is that it is like, yeah, it, it doesn't, like even most cop shows, like there's a dirty cop, but then the mm-hmm. good cop comes in at the end and everything is made right with the world and you can rest easy at night. None of that ever happens, uh, which is where the humor comes from, which is why it <laughs> continues to be able, like why we can do surprising things in the book. Um, but we'll, we'll see. I have some people that I want to talk to about it that I'm going to have some conversations with. Uh, uh, I'm, it's definitely in the books. It's on the it's 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 in the plans. It's the map to go to the moon with it. <laughs>
1: Excellent, but uh, you know, in, in the meantime, does this experience, you know, making Justice Warriors have you wanting to do or planning to do, uh, you know, more monthly comics?
0: Uh, well, definitely Justice Warriors. I mean, I don't know uh, how much Ben wants to do because if we keep doing Justice Warriors, that's going to keep him pretty busy.
1: <laughs> busy enough, yeah.
0: Um, I, th- you know, theoretically, I want to do a lot more comics. Um you know, including drawing some of my own, but I have a bunch of ideas. I like writing and working with people, collaborating. So yeah, I have I uh, I have plenty of ideas for comics. I want to keep doing, uh, want to do them for the rest of my life. How I, ca- how I can make it all work because uh, I'm already working with a pretty full schedule. I'm not sure. But Justice Warriors is the main thing, honestly. And it's like, um, you know, I'm not going to, if we only get like one volume or whatever, I'll be... I'll be real proud of the work we did but honestly it's going to bug me if we don't end up with like an omnibus at the end you know I want I want the
1: eight volume like omnibus <laughs> that nice thick bookshelf sagging hard cover Yeah exactly Yeah Sorry.
3: yeah 100% <laughs> Something Uh, that,
1: something that, well,
0: just one more thing, just something that, you know, to to get all of our our ideas out for one, because we have so many, it just feels like, oh, this is like a project I've been waiting to do for a long time. And then the other is because if you have an omnibus and eight volumes, it means you're successful enough to where, you know, once you're selling the $60 omnibus, you might be making some more money on the back end of it. So both of those things would be good.
3: Uh, Yeah. I, I would love to do more comics. I, when I look at the, once again, the economics of it. Um, it's really hard to justify drawing comics that I don't own the intellectual property of because I give a lot more into Justice Warriors than I think most creators give on their books. Not even creators, but artists give on the books because often artists aren't the um, don't hold a lot of the intellectual property or the back end of the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so when I put those extra hours in and I make less money, it's because I believe in the book and I'm making a bet on the future of it. And so it has to have very high quality. It has to be an extraordinary book. Um, so I don't, It. I find it, uh, I imagined what it would be like to be working on like a Batman or a Spider-Man book. And I would not ever be able to do it because it, I don't get to own my work at the end of the day. Sure. Um, I do have an idea for, I have, I have a lot of ideas for like, Cartoon universes. This is just what my brain does when left to its own devices as I come up with cartoon universes for like a, a, a intergalactic hot dog on a mission to kill God who's stolen a motorcycle, uh, which I have a really good, which I'm building a pitch for, but who knows when I'll have a chance to draw that book. <laughs> uh, and I don't like, I, I'll have to learn with Matt how to write a book like that. Before I can even properly pitch it, because uh, that's uh, writing a floppy comic, a monthly comic entirely by myself, isn't something I'm super confident with right now.
0: What what's the? I think I know the answer to this, but what's the name of that idea?
3: Space hot dog. Okay.
0: <laughs> I thought it was something. To, I thought it was like hot dog assassin. Was that one?
3: Oh, hot dog assassin would be good. I haven't like gotten a really solid. <laughs> grasp of that one yet. I know that I want it to look like Philippe Droulet, um, this French comic artist who worked with Mobius uh, on Metal Erlang. I want it to look like that like satanic space universe where everything's really pokey and like to be like really overwrought and serious but then at the same time it's a hot dog made out of the ground up bodies of all the world's greatest assassins. (laughs) <laughs> uh, chasing God, who's stolen a motorcycle, and it's sort of like a wily coyote. He tries all these different traps uh, format for that
0: um, for that uh, that kind of art style you described, like the pokey metal herlant thing. Yeah, you got to check out Nemesis the Warlock, which was a 2000 AD story. Um, oh yeah, by Kevin O'Neill did the art, and it's like that's that's what came to mind when you described that
2: so you'll come back when you do that right because dan we need to have many conversations about this i mean i,
1: I i'm already sold this book doesn't yeah. even exist but... he <laughs> had me at space hot dog <laughs> yeah
0: you know i like uh you know in between whatever volumes uh, three and four of uh justice warriors ben will do his hot dog you know yeah, i'll do space either. hot dog story
1: there you go. <laughs> um, penultimate question, uh, what are what are you each reading right now? Ooh. I'm reading the city's
3: issue of the nib, to be honest, uh, uh, right now. that's I usually do audiobooks because I'm doing so much drawing. I'll put on an audiobook and mm-hmm. I just finished um, Lua's, uh Three Body Problem series, mm-hmm. um, which if you haven't read it, I really recommend it, it's, it's fucking wild. It is unbelievable. One of the best pieces of science fiction I've ever listened to someone read to me. Um, but, and, and then after that, I'm totally spoiled. I started a James Elroy um, true crime novel, uh, widespread panic, uh, and it's just not hitting the spot for me after that wild Chinese sci-fi. Uh, so I'm literally reading nothing right
0: now. I'm always reading like five or six books at a time. A lot of comics that I just kind of, uh, you know, read, um, sporadically. I just finished this book, cultish, the language of fanaticism, which was really good.
2: I want that.
0: It was good. It was about, you know, it starts out about cults and it gets into, um, like workout, cults and uh, multi-level marketing stuff and how they use kind of uh develop their own internal language and uh end up taking over people's lives and comics wise oh i'm always reading a ton of stuff i um when, last night i started reading uh superman for all seasons which i never read before by uh i forget who the writer is jeff Loeb, jeff Loeb. but uh yeah, you know Slob. tim sale because uh tim mm-hmm. sale does the art because tim sale just died yeah and somehow i noticed it on my uh my comiXology thing, I have it. I, I don't know if I got it free as part of some package or what, but anyway, started reading it. You know, great story, great art, especially. Um, yeah, that's about it.
1: Awesome. Well, uh, gentlemen, this has been a great time. Uh, final question as we let you go. How can po- people follow each of you online and keep up with Justice Warriors and everything else that you're working on?
0: I'm easy to find. I'm just M-A-T-T-B-O-R-S, Matt Bors, uh, on all the websites and uh, Justice Warriors is, you know, in your local comic shop, call them and uh, tell them you want it so that we can uh, keep making more volumes of this.
3: I too, keep one, give one to a friend, read one. <laughs> it's gonna be a collector's item for sure. Uh, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Ben Clarkson. Uh, you can follow for me retweeting stuff about Justice Warriors. Sometimes I'll post drawings and mostly Federal Reserve policy.
1: all right gentlemen thank you so much for coming on the show yeah thanks a lot a pleasure that's it for this week's show as a reminder WMQ&A is part of Comics XF where you can find this podcast along with our sister podcast Battle of the Atom Chris is on Infinite Earths and Bad Chat with Matt and Will co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and our bud Will Nevin Uh, P.S. Matt and Will sorry I made you read White Knight again you can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts Stitcher SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQA at patreon.com slash WMQComics, where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a free comic in the mail for my collection. A $2 donation gets you a slot in the ComicsXF staff picks, a $3 donation gets you access to our new bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom, and a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Match Club podcast, Robert Secundus from ComicsXF.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series, Cat Purcell from ComicsXF, Liz Large from ComicsXF, Will Nevin from ComicsXF, and Asimov Fangirl, a.k.a. the loyalist content consumer. You can follow wmq a on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. And until next week, remember, the Forceworks character Sentry was apparently part of Combo Man.
0: WMQA.